Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode number 127 for September of 2022. And we do have a special guest, Abi Eswarapa of Iconic Motor Bikes and Bike Curious will be with us. We're actually going to have our interview with him during the second half of this episode. That segment will be coming up. But we didn't get all three of us together last month. So this is our opportunity for just the three of us to find out what's going on. What's up, guys? Well, right now I'm scrolling through my local Ducati dealers inventory listing. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, is this at all related to the conversation that you and I had last month about what you might want to pick up in a large adventure bike? Well, yeah, although... um... I still don't know what I want to get, but at this dealership, they have some used, slightly used things. And they've got, you know, like a few things that I'd be interested. They still have uh, Aprilia Tuano for a pretty good price. They also have a couple of Africa twins on the other side of the spectrum. There is a KTM 1290 Super Adventure. So yeah, I'm just still kind of mulling over options here. Okay. Well, on the, on the other hand, I'm contemplating nothing right now because as of a few days ago, I am looking for work. I was laid off from my gig. Ooh. Oh no. Yep. I was at the auto show today, which was planned, uh, but a different twist as I was out networking today, trying oh. to find a new gig or at least oh. talk to people to, you know, hey, if you hear of anything, let me know. So uh, if you need someone to run your content, social media, uh, you know, marketing kind of we'll, stuff. We'll talk offline. Okay. And on the garage front, uh, I had three people locally tell me to go see the same person about my bike, about putting it together. Uh, I haven't, I was going to, but obviously that's on hold as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I figured if three people, three different people who don't know each other are all telling you the same person to go to, that's probably a good person to see. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hopefully in the not too distant future, I can get that moving along so we'll see mm-hmm. so since i missed last month i didn't get to talk about my trip to vietnam and been yeah. fast and see the scooters so we can we can we can circle back yeah. to that yeah i definitely want to hear more about that yeah probably had a good time there that must have been an interesting experience it was um it was really cool in in so many levels um uh i've really never left the north american continent so uh which you know i'm very american in that um, not, not necessarily by choice, but just by circumstance. And, uh, so yeah, 15 hours in a plane from San Francisco to Vietnam each way. Uh, not as bad as you would think. Of course it's economy plus, so it's not okay. It was crammed completely in cattle. Unfortunately, we spent more time in some resorts than we did in the actual towns of Vietnam, but I did get to spend some time in there, including like kind of a day in, in Hanoi, which was amazing. The factory, I was actually there to go see cars, uh, the two EV vehicles they're putting on, which is a two-row and a three-row um, EV crossover SUV thing. And they're also building a plant here in, in the United States uh, currently. But um, they went from basically a swamp to producing cars and scooters in 21 months. Wow. And this is on a 1,000-acre site with all state-of-the-art equipment. Wow. Now, Pete, did you did you see some of the photos that I posted? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So you can pull those down to, for to post and stuff like that. But um, the scooter factory is its own; it's its own line. They have got like five different models. 
and the sea of scooters in there was amazing, which coincides with everywhere. So I want you to think about the biggest mega mall parking lot you can think of. Now fill that with scooters. And that's what it's like there. Um, it's just like, how do you remember where you parked? Uh, it's it's crazy. And every cliche you can think of for traffic, um, of families of four riding on scooters, of guys going to work, and they've got like ladders and buckets and boxes on the back of their scooters. Um, yeah, it's all true. Hmm. You know, and no one obeys traffic laws and it's all, it's kind of a free for all. It's all true. And it was very cool. And um, so the interesting thing is, uh, I guess it's loosening up a little bit, but cars were heavily, heavily taxed there and still are. Scooters, not so much. Um, so people, rather than having a car, will have two or three scooters to kind of suit their mood or they decorate, you know, they, they customize it in different ways and stuff like that. So early, so, so I was told. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was cool. And I got to ride four of the models, two, which I believe they're going to bring to the U.S. So they, they, I think they've talked about bringing all four, but the bottom two aren't aren't really worth bringing. And they're um, all electric, right? Yes, they're they're all electric scooters. Now, do they have a history of internal combustion scooters, or did they start from scratch as an electric company? To for the scooters, to the best of my knowledge, they were always they've always just done the electric scooters. Okay. Um, now the the cars they were building originally uh, until very recently were gas powered vehicles. They were building three different models, but as of September one that stopped and now all they're producing going forward are electric vehicles, period. Scooters and and cars or well, crossovers. Um the top two, um uh, I, I can uh, I can't find the pricing, but they're not gonna be too bad. They're gonna be a couple grand, a couple three grand. Uh equivalent to maybe like a one twenty-five and a one fifty-ish kind of scooter. Um, you know, the like on the on the bottom tier one, the the, the brakes were a little shaky. Uh, but the the top two models were were fine. They were they were pretty good. The the only complaint I had on them was that the throttle felt a little disconnected. But that's a that's easily enough, that's a you know that's easily enough fixed, or you just get used to it. But other than that, uh, it wasn't like huge immediate kick off the line. It was more of a gradual build. But yeah, just just the way that they chose to do it. And uh, well, I'm sure if they're cool. if they're trying to mimic uh, you know, a CVT. Yep scooter that's probably what their market wants yep exactly um but the build quality was great um you know comfortable all the all the controls seemed to i mean we we're on a just a small circle track but you know it was like bricks and cobblestone so you know, it it rode fine it it seemed to handle fine it didn't feel twitchy or weird um so yeah there's it's uh it's they're pretty they're pretty cool one's the I don't have, I wish I forgot to pull up in front of me, but um, it's like the Theon. Let's see if I can give me just a second. Let's see. I've got it in the fo- in my photos here really quick. I took um, photos of the, um, of all the details of it. And it's I just got to remember what date we did that on. Yeah. Uh, okay. so, so there's the. How long it takes approximately to charge. It's going to uh, four to six hours, I think. Um, so there's the Feliz, which is the, one of the ones that I rode, which was relatively, which was one that I wouldn't bother with. Uh, and the Clara, which is kind of the same. The two top models were the Theon and the Vento. So they're 56 million Vietnamese dongs. So 69 and 59. Yeah. So like 
two and three thousand dollars, I think is is what they would be. And you said they're thinking about bringing the larger ones to the states. Yes, yeah, I think I think it's pretty much confirmed that they're bringing at least the, the two larger ones for sure. Um, the two smaller ones, I'm not a hundred percent sure on, but for sure they're bringing the the two larger ones in. Same chassis, just difference in. I think power wise, they might be rated a little bit different on power and stuff like that. I'll I'll send those over so that you can take a peek at them. Mm. Actually, pull that back up. Hold on. Uh, let's see. The Theon is um, thirty five hundred watts continuous seventy one hundred uh, maximum for the. Theon and then the Vento, essentially the continuous is the same, but the maximum is down to fifty two hundred. So yeah, so I think they just tuned the the electric motors differently. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, just you know, for an electric scooter, kind of cool. I think it's a it's a great thing for running around town, especially in higher urban areas where they're trying to kill the uh, emissions. It's great. Mm. Um, but yeah, I highly encourage anyone, if you get a chance, uh, it's not cheap to get over there, but once you're there, things are relatively inexpensive and it's, it's a really interesting place that's transforming overnight. So the whole thing about creating a plant, you know, the, a thousand acre complex for making cars and scooters and everything, uh, with all state-of-the-art equipment, 21 months, that's not out of the ordinary. That's exactly how everything's happening over there. It's just these huge transformations and the buildings that they're building, um, the best analogy I can put is if you lived, say, from like 1890 to 1920 in a major city and all these big buildings, uh, you know, so-called gorgeous architecture and intricate details and things like that, that's essentially what they're doing now in that quality of work. So it's not, you know, cheap thrown together stuff. It's high quality kind of stuff. And the products that I saw, at least from VinFast, they're, you know, quality products. They're not, quote unquote, cheap Chinese shit. Mike. My- employer has an import sourcing company that is a subsidiary. Mm -hmm. He said probably 18 months, two years ago, that the highest quality across the board coming out of Southeast Asia is coming out of uh, Vietnam. Yeah. China and Taiwan and everything, you can get high-end factories that will meet your Mm -hmm. quality requirements, but pretty much Anything you get out of Vietnam will be above and beyond whatever quality you spec. To to that to that point, um, when I was up in Canada announcing in October or in August, one of my longtime friends up there, he repaired one of the things, many things he does is he repairs all the racers' suits. He was repairing some stuff or making some alterations for one of the racers, and he had two Alpine Star suits. One was made in China, and the other was made in Vietnam. And even though it's the same suit, same model, same size by the same company, because they're made in two different countries, let alone two different factories, you had to do some different things to them. But he said the quality of the Vietnamese suit was so much better than the Chinese made suit. It's mm-hmm. not even funny. So so top tip from this week's show, if you're looking at buying imported uh, stuff, look if it's made in Vietnam, I would I would look at that and and there's a ton of industry being moved to Vietnam out of China right now by foreign makers for a lot of reasons and I think the quality is one of them. And the other thing is there's a whole lot less IP piracy. Mm-hmm. Yes, they seem to respect IP. And that's true of Indonesia, Thailand, places like that. The mainland China is where you really have the problem with piracy. So VinFast for their ICE cars, actually, they licensed platforms from BMW and somebody else. And I don't remember who it was. 
And I think for some of this EV stuff that they're doing from the car stuff, again, they're, they're licensing a lot of some of that technology mm-hmm. from someone else. They're not trying to do anything. So yeah, it's all, all seems to be above board. So you don't have to give VIG to, you know, the government or have government ownership or government oversight or, you know, whatever f- section of the government. So um, they're allowing private enterprise in that country too, or at least so they say. And there were a bunch of us who kept asking and asking in all the different ways that you can ask. And they were always very adamant that, no, 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 we allow private enterprise. That's cool. Like I say, so if you can go, go. Really neat. Hanoi was amazing. If you've seen the Top Gear special about um, when when the three guys take the trip up north on the scooters and stuff like that and all the shenanigans, a little bit of that. Um, I stepped sort of in Ho Chi Minh City, but not really. We had to clear customs coming back through Ho Chi Minh City. So they got everyone all they got us off the plane, onto buses, circled around the outside of the airport, came back in through the airport <laughs> to get our visas exit stamped, uh, to go right back on the same plane. Uh, you know, there are there are elements of communist government nonsense. Uh, so we got to see a little bit of Ho Chi Minh City just outside the airport because that's how the bus had to circulate. But from what I saw, it was cool. It was amazing. And and Hanoi was was crazy. I'd love to go back. I really would. Cool. Garrett, what have you been up to other than working? A little bit of motorcycle stuff. Um my Vespa, I need to need to put it up for sale. It's all ready to go. I got it all buffed out, paint shiny, replaced a few little rubber bits that had deteriorated over time. It runs perfect. Um, so I just need to list it. And I think I'll probably put it on bring a trailer and hope that somebody pays four times more than it's worth. That's what <laughs> bring a trailer seems to attract. Um, I've been doing a little bit of work on my RZ 350. I need to get it. I need to get the, the gas tank fixed. And um, I don't want to, I don't want to do the epoxy seal coat. That's just a temporary, you know, like eventually that, that coating fails. Especially if you've got full perforations, actual holes, not just corrosion. Yeah, right. You need to have somebody seal, you know, do metal work on it. Yeah. So um, I started getting that researched. See if I can find because that's that's literally all that thing needs is the gas tank repaired. I was like for a, a hot second, um, and I, I talked myself out of it for obvious reasons. But um, there is some what are probably pretty low quality replica recreation gas tanks made in India, mm-hmm. but from what I can tell, it's just not worth the money. Like they're just so crudely built. I have to say, I've got my 71 BSA replica tank from India. Yeah. And looking at them side by side, uh-huh. they're not identical. You can tell yeah. differences between them. To look at it, you wouldn't say there's anything crude or, you know, uh, the welding's nice. It's really nicely finished on the outside. I bought mine painted and the paint's really nice on it. A uh, little bit of orange peel if you really look at it, but but it's symmetrical and actually, it's heavier gauge metal than the original. Really, 
all the originals rusted out on the back because they had really thin metal. The original 71 tank I have is all perforated at the back where the seams are. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looked okay until I stripped it down and found at least a half inch of Bondo in places. Mm -hmm. They're, they're much heavier gauge, better quality as far as durability. Mm -hmm. As I said, the mounts are a little different. If you turn it over and you look at the center tunnel, they're different, but it was worth what I paid for it. Now I'm doing a custom. It's, uh, it's not like anybody's going to look at it and go, Oh, that isn't quite original because it's going on a mongrel anyways. So. Yeah. Well, uh, these gas tanks are approximately $400. And Mm. I, I haven't really found any reviews that say like, yes, it's definitely usable or no, it's, it's complete garbage. Stay away. And, but in my gas tank, it's just kind of right there on the edge where, you know, honestly, repair is only going to probably cost that much. And then I'll have my gas tank to use. Right. But it would be nice to just have a tank that's ready to paint, you know, besides a little bit of, body work so so i don't know i had entertained that idea but i just didn't really want to risk four hundred dollars and get something that just wasn't even usable i looked up my reproduction tank and i paid with shipping 272 so that's a whole lot different than four hundred dollars i mean yeah it's not quite that big a risk probably more like 440 for a tank Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. I'll probably just stick with the original plan and and get mine repaired. Especially the fact that you can do your own painting. Mm-hmm. You could get it your original repaired really well for that kind of money. So Yeah. Yeah. So I'd really like to get that motorcycle together so at least it's usable. I'll probably, once it's together and I ride it a few times, I'll probably sell that one um, and keep the other. Because, you know, the others doesn't have the value that this, you know, the Kenny Roberts, it's all original. It's very nice. And um, the other RZ is, um, you know, there's just so much modification done to it. It probably doesn't have the same kind of value. And I don't really need two of them. And and really on the on the Kenny Roberts, you did that really cool uh 3D printed air box yeah. on it and stuff. I mean, you really went above and beyond on that one. Right now I actually have the original stuff on it. So it is all original. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That other air box, it you know, like it can go on and it does, you know, have a little bit higher performance potential with it. But just because the motorcycle is all original. Besides exhaust pipes. Well, and you did work on it's the It's completely, um, you, like, you wouldn't be able to tell right. from the outside. But it is high compression, and it is race ported, and the head's O-ringed, and it's got modified reed cages, and, you know, billet clutch, basket. There's some stuff going on. So, but yeah, so I need to get that one done. Uh, I have started up the bride. Mm. I posted a video for you guys running, but not rideable. Uh, it's got a 24 millimeter carb that's jetted way too lean. When I first put it on, I had a really bad air leak 
where the manifold and the little manifold adapter go together, I kind of lightly sanded them on some 220 paper to make sure that they were nice and flat and had to make a gasket out of Felpro gasket material. It starts right away. It idles with the choke. As soon as you turn the choke off, it dies. Uh, I was doing some research on what jetting people recommend starting with for a Predator clone. And it's like a, you know, it's a 110 or 115 main jet and a 38 pilot jet. And what's in the carburetor now stock is, I think it's a 105 and a 32 pilot jet. So it's way off. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take it up part probably sometime next week and uh, make sure that float height's correct and I bought a whole set of Kian jets so I've got 10, 12 different sizes of both pilots and mains so that I can play around that I don't have any other uh, needles so I'm assuming that if I, if I play with the air screw and I play with the pilot jet and I play with the needle height I can find something that's going to work smoothly. This isn't like it's a high-performance engine. You know, it's a lawnmower engine. I've never done one from scratch. You know, bought a carb that wasn't for a particular bike that had jetting specs to start with. I've gone and tweaked it. You know, I put a different exhaust on it so you might Mm -hmm. raise the needles and put a bigger main jet in it. And you find out what works by making little changes. On the 125, when I put the carb on it, it worked perfectly right out of the box. No stumbling, no problem. I'm not messing with it. So this will be new territory. It'll teach you a lot. Yeah. While I was waiting, had a morning and I wasn't doing anything. So I filled and bled the front brake. So I, I have a sloped yard. So I pushed it all the way up to the top of the yard, jumped on it and rolled it down the hill onto the driveway and all the way to the the road and grab the front brake and it stopped. And I was like, Hey, I didn't roll out into traffic. That's good. That's a win. Mm. Although the rear suspension squeaks really badly. And I'm really hoping that I just need to like lube all the pivoting points and that it's not mm-hmm. my really crappy shocks that are squeaking because they're front end shocks from a Chinese kids four wheeler. Ah. And they're, they're new. You know, I bought them off ebay for like 35 40 bucks a piece or something because they were the only thing that was the right length and spring rate for what i needed so we'll have to see how well it works my my initial ride over bumpy tree roots and stuff down onto the driveway was less than impressive for my rear (laughs) suspension but it goes where you point it so that's kind of a win for just throwing components together so yeah there you go that's that's a good beginning yeah uh i think it'll actually handle okay suspension may be a little unpleasant Mm -hmm. yeah i'm kind of getting pretty close to being able to run it i'm just starting to mess with the lighting equipment on it um hooked up the kill switch and stuff like that and i'm I have a wiring diagram, but at some point I'm going to have to sit down, figure out how long wires need to be between things and actually put together a wiring loom. Evidently, there's a lot of people that find that really 
like hate, hate, hate doing electrical work. I don't, but it still takes a lot of time. Do you have a chain and sprocket set up for it yet? Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's got, it, I don't have the front pulley for the CVT on the crank yet. Mm-hmm. Only because once you do that and you put the belt on it, you don't have neutral. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to rev it up and not have the thing get away from me. So, mm-hmm. so that'll come after I am confident that it's carburating a little bit m- more evenly and, and not stumbling and dying on me. So, yeah. Don't, don't a fabricator rear stand for it just to have the back wheel up in the air. I, I actually have a rear stand that I could probably use. Um, I'd have to like create some kind of a little spool or something mm-hmm. somewhere in the back. And mm-hmm. for right now, I'll just do it this way. So cool. Yep. No, that's okay. what I've been up to. Um, haven't been out on the spiders. It's going to be almost time to put them away. Oh no, this is, we're getting into the good season now. I mean, cause oh, yeah. it's been so hot here all summer long that it's just unpleasant. Sarah and I will ride ours literally until there's a hard freeze and there's ice on the road. That's when we stop riding. But there's plenty of times that, you know, it's 40, 45 degrees and we just put on the ski bibs and heated gloves and get out. Yeah. And- so, Garrett, did you, just because you were talking about the, um, like an, an mm-hmm. adventure bike, did you see the 44 teeth review of uh, the current adventure bike crop? No, I haven't. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, so they did the Multistrada, the Triumph Tiger twelve hundred, the KTM twelve ninety, and the oh BMW GS twelve fifty. Mm-hmm. The obvious one. <laughs> yeah, got to have that one in there. And it was more, and they were all in their more um, sport touring, road touring versions, not the off roads with twenty wheels and stuff like that um yeah that was pretty interesting um and you know kind of the picks that ended up being about what you'd expect them from the different people on, on the team so it was um yeah um there were four, there were four people it was uh boothy but this is obviously pre-isle of man um so he was on there um al and uh chris and then they had another guy who's viewer patreon something one of some but someone they know and he he didn't really have a lot of on on camera time but he chimed in at the end and yeah, yeah, so it was four bikes and they swap bikes and yeah, it was it was yeah, it's forty fourteen. Yeah. I'll have to watch that tonight. Uh last time when it was just you and I and we were talking adventure bikes, we were talking about options. Mm-hmm. I did not realize until after you and I talked and I went out to the Triumph site, you know, I mentioned the Scrambler and I knew about the Tiger twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they have a Tiger eight fifty. And a Tiger 900. 900, yep. So for some reason, that Tiger 850 was just not on my radar at all. I'm not sure what the difference is between them. It's uh, it's a little bit of power, and it's also like a lower spec. So they can be sold for a few grand cheaper. Are they the same engine architecture, or are they completely different? Yeah, I think it's the same. I think it's even like the same engine. Mm. Oh, okay. Just in different states of tune. I see I could be wrong on that. I'm I'm going off of like six or nine months ago when they were talking about them. Yeah, Tiger eight fifty sports eleven nine ninety five. Tiger nine hundred starts at fourteen seven hundred. So it's a yeah. 
big difference in price. That's kind of a budget option. But yeah, to look at them, it looks like the bodywork is essentially identical. So of course, by the time you put the stuff you want on it, it may end up being the same price. So that's true. That's true. You know, which is what we were talking about, about BMWs, that it's impossible to figure out what used value of a BMW is from looking at it because, you know, they can be nearly identical and twice the price. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, should we jump into our interview with Mr. Abby? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So let's roll with that and uh, enjoy. We have a very special guest, a returning guest, as promised last month, Abby Esrawapa. Did I say that correctly? You did. Well done. It's been about five and a half years since you were on the podcast. When you were here, you were talking about uh, by Curious. That's kind of become your side hustle now because you got a much a much bigger endeavor. Why don't you talk about what you're spending your time on now? Sure. Well, uh, right now I am uh, one of the three partners at a company called Iconic Motorbikes. And uh, what we are doing is trying to become the the best motorcycle shop around for really all kinds of, of bikes. I think we've definitely grown a uh, following for 80s, 90s, early 2000s sport bikes, uh, but by no means is that what we're limiting ourselves to. Uh, we have a few facets to the company. Uh, from a revenue standpoint, our biggest uh, project or our biggest endeavor is a, an auction site, an online auction site. We run generally four to five listings a day right now, but we're working on growing that. Uh, you can see that at iconicmotorbikeauctions.com. We also have a service shop here with five full-time mechanics, and we uh, just brought on someone to handle logistics, transportation for us, that kind of thing. You're about to see a, a proprietary design that we're building for a box to transport motorcycles all around the, uh, the country and the world. Uh, so we're just trying to uh, get out there and do cool things with bikes. Very cool. I was uh, looking the other day at your, I think it was your Instagram feed, and you were running a forklift truck getting a whole bunch of bikes. Uh, are you actually importing bikes from overseas? Yes, we do. We, for ourselves, as well as for clients that have special requests. And so specifically, what we what you saw uh, on Instagram this week was a container, a 20-foot container of about roughly 20 motorcycles that uh, came to us from Japan. So things ranging from little Z50s and YSR50s up to uh, Ducati Paul Smarts and, and, and things like that. We, we might have to talk offline because I was just saying to Eric and Garrett last month that I really want a 250 Katana from 91, 92. Oh, wow. So, yeah. uh, but, but the, the big drawback is you don't know if you're going to get scammed. You don't know what the condition is. And you, I'm, I'm definitely afraid of, of getting inaccurate quotes as to what the total cost is going to be. So, you know, working with somebody overseas, especially with a language barrier has been, prohibitively scary to me so sure. um, no I, I think it's a valid concern that that stops a lot of people from picking up cool bikes that were, are in japan were never officially exported here um the one thing i'd say to you or anyone else that's in a similar boat is we have a partner over there his name is graham crump or graham john crump and he's a he's a british expat that's been in japan for God, a couple decades now and uh this is what he does for a living he is he helps people uh like you that want to uh, find bikes on the Japanese auctions and things like that. He can, you know, buy on your behalf, bring it to the port, have it shipped, that kind of thing. He's been incredibly valuable for, for 
ourselves and, and a bunch of other people that are trying to import cool stuff from Japan. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask, iconic motorbikes, not motorcycles. Yes. Is is that <laughs> nice and short and easy to say, or were you trying to be a little homier and friendlier with your title? I think it's more the latter. I mean, it just just kind of mixes things up. Um, the the company was actually started by my partner Adam Trump. Uh, he he started it all in April of 2018, and I joined him pretty soon after. Um, as you know, earlier, I was uh, doing that by curious website and someone said, Oh, you got to go meet this guy, Adam. And, uh, I, uh, I, I have this bad habit whenever I get in a motorcycle conversation, it, it always ends up taking way longer than I expect. So I made a point of going to the shop 15 minutes before it closed, thinking that it would force the conversation to be just 15 minutes long. And what do you know, three hours later, Adam and I are still there talking and he decided <laughs> to, to, to get into business. So I'll actually have to ask Adam exactly why, cause he came up with him and his wife, I think came up with the name. I'll have to ping him as to why exactly it's bikes and not cyclists. Uh, since then, you've had an opportunity to own slash ride slash borrow some really bucket list bikes, you know, exotic stuff that very few people will ever ride. So that's got to be a really nice fringe benefit to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I've been able to cross off some some truly bucket list stuff for me. Um, and, I, and I think it's one of those things especially back in the bike curious days for me, a lot of what I was featuring was stuff that I would either want to own myself or something that I thought was a good deal or things like that. Um, Iconics definitely includes that aspect of it, but it's, I mean, thinking the name kind of says a lot about it. it's, it's also trying to find some of those, those halo bikes, those, those one of ones, uh, that kind of thing. And sometimes when a bike goes up on our auction site and doesn't meet reserve, uh, or if a bike gets uh, offered to us to go up on the auction site, but it's at a price that I think is very reasonable, I might try to, uh, pick it up for myself, which has happened a couple of times. So I, I had the I had the good fortune of uh, owning and using a, a Honda RC30 as a daily commuter for a while. <laughs> my current commuter is actually a Bimota Tessie 3D, oh, which is which just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, that's a lot of fun, and we're about to Iconics hosting a two day track event at uh, Laguna Seca at the end of the uh, the end of September, and so. I'll probably ride the, the Tessie 3D up there, you know, take the one, that kind of thing, and, and do a couple of, maybe a session or two with that bike and then go back to my normal Ninja 400 track bike. Uh, but it's, uh, we've just, it's one of those things where when we started, obviously, it's uh, as you try to get your name out there and, and find cool things uh, to become part of inventory, it's one thing. But as we've grown and, and been fortunate enough to, to get recognized and things like that. Now, now a lot of those bikes are just coming to us. And so we've, you know, when it comes to RC thirties, we've sold 40 of them. We've sold, uh, 10, uh, NR seven fifties and had a couple more come through. The NR seven fifties just blow my mind. Yeah. The people are out there actually riding those. Yeah. It's cool. They're being used for what they were intended for, but I I just think that takes balls. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely does. And I, I, we just, uh, we just sold a RC 213BS, which I don't know why I'm only talking about Hondas right now, but it just happens to be what's coming up. But yeah, we just sold one to a gentleman who, uh, it was in a crate, but he's, he had us put the, the race kit on it and he's going to be taking it to track this. And that, like you said, that takes balls to do uh, because, (laughs) That's uh, if heaven forbid if something goes wrong. That's defensive. Either that, or you're supremely overconfident in your abilities. You yes, know, it's not going to happen to me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, it's like we just sourced a uh, a 1979 Honda, first year Honda CBX uh, with 
basically 0.2 kilometers on it, just kind of push miles uh, sort of thing for a gentleman. Uh, the bike was originally out of the German market, found its way to Arizona, and we just sold it to someone who uh, is having us put, you know, service it, put new tires on it, and he's going to start riding it. Uh, that, that's amazing, but in a great way. Yeah, yeah. Eric and Garrett have heard me say this a bunch of times, but the, the original CBX is the one motorcycle I would want to have exactly stock. Okay. I don't want a six into one or a six into six on it. I don't want <laughs> yeah. fancy paint or the boomerang wheels or anything. it's like, sure, I would yeah. want it exactly as it came from the factory. Cause I remember walking into the Honda dealer and thinking it was the coolest thing that could possibly ever exist. <laughs> Harry Metcalf from Harry's Garage uh, just did a, a feature on his a couple weeks ago on his on his YouTube channel. It was really cool. Oh, I'll check that out. His is relatively original, so yeah. Did you do something on Bike Curious about uh, riding the RZ500? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a great. It was, that was an RZV500R. So that was the Japanese specific model that right. aluminum frame restricted in power, but aluminum frame. Good man. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. I, I know this because I had for several years an RZ500, and I'm never about going back to what you had, but that is the single motorcycle that I would go and buy again because I I, I miss it. it. It spoiled me for everything else because of it. It just had so much character. And yeah. as I always described it, you know, you're poodling along until you get to about 7,500 RPM, and all of a sudden, it's like the Enterprise going to war when it comes on the Bang, gone. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Beyond just the performance, it's got so much history to it. You know, it harkens back to the 500 GP days and yeah. all of the people that were my racing heroes. Here's, here's the crazy thing. And, and Abby, you can probably speak to this better than I can. But when I bought that bike in 1996, I paid $2,500 for it. Oh, geez. Yeah. You can't touch one that's <laughs> worth anything, worth worth riding for under what, about 15 today. Yeah, it's about and right. closer to twenty, more like it. Closer to twenty, definitely. Yeah. I think since the pandemic, twenty would be what I would expect. Yeah. So yeah. I think we just we just sold one this week on the auction site for I want to say roughly seventeen and a half or eighteen, and it was actually a little bit discounted because in the at some point it had been resto modded. Someone put a modern, a more modern front end on it, that kind of thing. So it wasn't a hundred percent stock, and that that hurt the value a little bit. But like you said, I think those two stroke eighties uh, bikes, your your NS four hundred Rs. Uh, and then the RZ is around twenty grand, and now a good RG five hundred Gamma is going to be a thirty grand. Yeah. yeah, they were they were always a little more, but yeah, they've gotten. Yeah, Eric has had a TZ two fifty. No, what TZR TZR two fifty, an eighty eight TZR two fifty, and, and the, the five hundred. Yeah, we're big two stroke fans. Garrett, our other host, who's not here, has built more RZ and Banshees than anybody can probably count and he's got a couple of rz350s both stock and modified in his garage right now and i'm real big into the two-stroke air-cooled singles i've Good. i've been building a custom Boltaco for 10 years now yeah to that point you have a, a couple uh ns250s you have a couple tz250s on here i was looking at that are relatively tasty and then the couple just because i'm from a racing background um, you have a potentially ex Jake Zemke, uh, Bruce transportation, CBR 954. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've had that one. Yep. We've had that. It's funny. At one point, Kevin Arian actually just had a bunch of suits left over, you know, from the old days Yeah, and ha had us auction them off. And we had Zemke's school bus leathers, yeah. uh, as well. 
with, with that bike. But we, we yep. have that bike. We have, uh, from a race standpoint, we've got uh, the old YZ, uh, sorry, yeah, the YZF 750 Yamaha that uh, Cycle World did with Attack Performance. Yep. The Don Canet Road, that's, that's here. We have a couple of bikes. These are sold, but they're, they're here for storage right now. Uh, Scott, one of Scott Russell's, you know, Muzzy Kawasaki bikes, uh, Chandler's Muzzy Kawasaki bike. And then for you, two-stroke nuts, because you mentioned two-stroke 500 and that kind of thing. Oh, you got the Hopper's, uh, Hopper's uh, Aprilia Cup bike? Yeah, Hopper's Aprilia Cup bike is on the office side right now. That's a very cool one. Uh, and then actually, it's funny because uh, uh, you know, used it to win a year later. And, and Aaron, actually, I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this. He just, he just reached out to us on social media going like, how much is it going to, what's it going to take? My wife's going to kill me, but I just have to know. Uh, <laughs> because obviously that bike means a lot to him, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah, but we also got the 1996 uh, Yamaha 500 World GP bike that Kenny Roberts Jr. raced while his dad was managing the team. They actually just rode it at uh, Goodwood. Yep, and that's gonna that's that's on its way out of plane, actually, like right now. So we should be getting that anytime, anytime now. What's that going to be about 250? I it looks like based on what we were talking with the seller, it's probably going to be north of that actually. Yeah, okay, but that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, you know everyone always wants what they can get and yep. buyers you find somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You got a set of Chandler's old GP leathers. Uh, that's cool. All all full yeah. of road rash. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Chandler Schwanz, that that kind of thing. Uh, and, and and on a more normal level, you have one of my current obsessions, which is the Red Lion Tuono one one thousand R. Yeah, that's a great bike. I love that the, with the gold frame. Yeah. And, and the blue wheels and everything, it just, that thing is just dead sexy. At least I think it is. <laughs> no, no disagreements there. Aprilia, that, that red lion livery is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. and But yeah, just a, a real cool variety of stuff from a, a, a Moto Campo. I mean, you know, <laughs> remember when you couldn't give those things away about 10 years <laughs> yeah. ago and now they're yeah. eight to 10 grand? Yeah. If, if someone's willing to give one up. Uh, so yeah. with with all of the cool things that you've been writing, is there anything that you have your eye out for or you're in the back of your mind? You're thinking if I could just find a blank, yeah, that's you know the thing what? that I, I'm going to really. I think for me, I, I'm at this point, it's become more of an opportunistic thing. Just when something comes up, that's that's interesting. Uh, that's I, I had for years. I had wanted a BMW HP2 Megamoto and uh, US only got 107 of them. I for years wanted one, couldn't find one. One then one came through the auction site, and I just had to have it. So I, I uh, worked out a deal with a seller beforehand, thinking, well, when's the next time I'm going to see one? And and then the next week we get another one on a on a submission. So shows what I know for timing. But um, I don't think there's anything really specific. I think if you ask my partner Adam, he would say the RC two thirteen B we just got in. Like now that we put one together and saw everything. That what makes it so special that for him i think is probably the answer to your question I, i'm still just more whatever whatever comes through that's really fascinating there aren't many steps up from a, a tessie 3d i mean <laughs> you're in some pretty rarefied territory at that point sure yeah it's a cool it's i like it because um i, I don't necessarily need 200 horsepower or whatever out of a bike i prefer i like the tessie because it weighs so little it's about 400 pounds it's incredibly narrow and it, it uses that Ducati 1100 Evo motor. So it's still a solid, you know, 105, 110 horsepower. It's more than, more than enough. It's just, it's so much fun to, to throw around. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Adam's got a Bimota Tessie H2. It's that same hub center steering concept, but it's after Kawasaki invested a bunch of money in Bimota. So now they're just using Kawasaki power plants. It uses that supercharged Ninja H2 motor. 
this one that we have has also had an, uh, an upgrade to the, uh, the supercharger impeller and a flash tune. So it's putting, I want to say 265 horsepower <laughs> at, the, at the rear wheel. <laughs> and it's impossible to ride that thing properly. Both him and I are faster when we ride that in rain mode than in sport mode. Mm-hmm. It's absurd to to manage. Well, I, I can only imagine because when that thing came out as a, in, in the Kawasaki H2 LE or whatever, that carbon fiber limited edition one. Yeah, the R, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they had one at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, i.e. Sport, uh, a number of years ago, and an ex-Canadian champion superbike rider took it out and did some parade laps on it. And then he decided to crank it up the up the back stretch, which is about a five-eighths mile back straight, but it's uphill. Okay. And then you kind of crest right before you hit the brakes. And as he said, yeah, I crest, I crested that hill just about to get on the brakes. I was doing about 330K and the front wheel still wanted to come up <laughs> in the air. <laughs> oh. So 330K is about 100, just, just shy of 190 yeah. miles an hour. So. It is an absurd, absurd motorcycle. Yeah, 195, something <laughs> like that. So it's crazy. But yeah, so I can I can imagine when you drop 100 pounds out of out of a motorcycle, what what that thing's right. going to do. So yeah, it's absurd. So do you guys get into vintage stuff at all or pretty much kind of concerned with maybe 80s and onward? Yeah, great question. I mean, we, we definitely, we've sold stuff as old as, you know, mid-1910s. Uh, board tracker, oh, wow. board tracker, sorry, Harleys, Indians, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we'll definitely uh, get involved with that kind of thing. I think at this point, it's more just um, what people are are bringing to us, and we're just we're just seeing more of the of the modern bikes. But I mean, there's no you know aversion or anything like that on our end to uh, more you know your vintage, your antique bikes, that kind of thing. Are there any uh, vintage or antique stuff that you have a personal interest in? Or are you pretty much a sport bike guy? You know what? I love the aesthetics and the appeal and the history of older bikes. But I think the oldest bike I currently own is a 1968 Honda S90. And I, I don't think I'd go older than that. I also, I've, I've hit a point in my life where there's, I think, once you have two, three, maybe four bikes with carbs, uh, especially with the gas in California, it just, it's, it's too much to keep, right. <laughs> keep maintaining that. Tell tell me about this one if you can remember it. Yeah, the 1936 NSU twin engine board track. Oh my racer. god, that thing has that thing looks. That, nuts. Yeah, that was out of. Uh, I want to say that was out of Florida. Um, that was a gentleman with a, an interesting collection of bikes. He actually currently on the auction site uh, has a Kawasaki Z1R Pro Street custom as well. So it's it's that same owner. He's just got a very quirky taste for bikes that have been. Uh, wildly modified, generally stretched out, <laughs> lengthened, you know, put two motors in it. I think that one was sold as the not as like a non-running display, although it had run uh, at some point in the past. But it's uh, it's always wild when you get a dual engine bike anyway, and then on top of it to be two NSU motors and yeah, <laughs> it was a very cool one. I happened to happen to see that one as I went by. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of crazy. So uh, are you actively searching for more people to work with out there to to expand what you're doing on the auctions or you're, as you, did the people come into you or how aggressive do you have to be in reaching out? Yeah. So are you saying in terms of submissions for motorcycles themselves? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we're, we're absolutely we're always on the hunt for good stuff, but we are sort of tuning that down as we get more submissions. I mean, we got eight submissions yesterday of uh, a, a, a variety of interesting motorcycles. So as that keeps growing. Uh, what we're looking to do is actually scale up ourselves. Historically, I've written almost all of the listings that have been on the auction site. We just hired a wonderful gentleman named Gray, who started three weeks ago, and 
he's kind of taking over and helping with with the write-ups and things like that. And we'll just we'll keep growing so we can make sure we support uh, the submissions that are coming in. But uh, as as we're as we're growing, thanks to people like yourselves that are spreading the word, which we really do appreciate, uh, we're we're seeing not just more submissions, but also more variety of submissions in terms of you know adventure bikes and dirt bikes and things yeah, like that. That's cool. We're seeing you on camera. Obviously, the audience listening can't. But are you guys operating out of a a hangar at an airport? That's a, that's a good eye. Yes, exactly it. So we are at the Santa Monica Airport uh, in Corporate Hangar One, which the history here is that it used to originally be the the city or the airport's maintenance garage, uh, and so they would keep all their their maintenance equipment in here. And then uh, at some point, maybe a decade or even longer, uh, Harrison Ford took it over as his personal hangar, and so he had a few planes and a helicopter and things like that in here. And as far as I understand. He had sort of smaller planes for his own personal enjoyment. And then uh, he had a, a gentleman who was a combination of a flight instructor slash private pilot. So he had one large plane that he needed to go to a movie set or whatever it might be. He would he would take that. And so uh, Santa Monica, basically, the general story is that there were noise complaints. So they ended up shortening the runway. And when they did that, that was a little too short for Harrison's large plane to be able to come in and out safely. So he went down to Hawthorne Airport. And then this this became available. Uh, and when that happened, uh, we, as an iconic, had a uh, dealership presence in Marina del Rey, California, next to Bartels Harley-Davidson. Mm-hmm. And we also had a hangar we were using here for storage purposes. And so when this became available, uh, it's about six, 15, 16,000 square feet. Uh, it was enough room for us to have the you know service shop with five full-time mechanics. And generally, I'd say we're at around 250 bikes in inventory on average. Um, oh, sorry, not, not inventory, I apologize. 250 bikes in here total, which includes both inventory bikes, but also things that are waiting for service. Right now, it's a little hectic. I think we're up to about 280. It's kind of packed a little too tight. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, a long way of saying that it made sense. That this was enough room for us to consolidate both the dealership and the, and the storage and, and service shop all into one place. So we ended up uh, taking over the hangar. Yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. cool that it's got a history to it too. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently, when we first yeah. moved in, I wasn't here when this happened, but or, I mean, I, I was I was at home when this happened. But uh, when we first moved in, a couple weeks later, apparently Harrison actually showed up at the back door and knocked and said permission to enter. And uh, we the, there was an employee here looking around. Well, oh, yeah, sure, come on in. Didn't realize until later that it was Harrison Ford. When we first moved in, there was a little studio. We ended up turning it into a photo studio for some time. And uh, when we, we were when we first walked in, there was a, a piece of paper taped to the to the door. It said "caution, flying two by fours." We could never figure out what that meant until when Harrison came and visited, and he said or he walked up to the studio and went, "Oh, I like what you've done with the place. This used to be my woodworking studio." And they went, "Oh, that that's hence the flying two by fours." Ah, nice. So, yeah, just a little a little bit of history, like you said. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're, at, at the airport, there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting interesting people, whether it's celebrities or uh, people who've uh, created their own businesses and things like that that are into uh, bikes, but especially cars. I mean, the cars that I see coming in and out of here yeah. is, is just kind of staggering. There's a, there's at least two, if not three, very, very, very well-known comedians who have their <laughs> yes. stuff stored there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I realize that you are probably consumed with trying to run a business that's 
that big and growing so much, but uh, what else is on your plate or going on in your life? I know you and your partner Vi have done some really great adventures in the past that you've written about. Yeah. Uh, anything coming up away from Iconic? Oh, man, unfortunately, we've had to put the travel on hold a little bit. Just as Iconic's taking up the majority of my time, but um, you know, we we sneak in little little motorcycle road trips here and there. I, the, the biggest trip I've got planned is actually uh, Adam, my, my partner, uh, my business partner Adam and I are going to be going to the Isle of Man next year. So we we just sort of locked that down. So that'll be a first for me. I'm very excited about that. That's a bucket list. Yeah, correct. I assume you're going during the TT. Yeah, so I don't know what to expect, but I I know it's going to be a great time. You have a accommodation set up already? Thankfully, that's what we've been able to arrange, uh, you know, accommodations and a little bit of the travel. Uh, so as we get as we get closer yeah. to the day, we'll, we'll fill in the, the blanks. But uh, we just want to make sure we got that stuff sorted. Yeah. Very cool. I'm I'm very envious of you for, for doing that. Although, if I was going to go, I think I would personally probably go for the, the classic. The cla- yes. Okay. Yeah, we had a debate about this. Definitely. Just because that's kind of the golden era of when it was a was a championship event, and I just I'm a huge vintage bike fan, so sure I, I'm I'm 100 with you. We, Adam and I really struggled with the timing of when we're going to go versus because obviously at the classic it's the kind of stuff that we're super passionate about here. Your RC30s, your RC45, that sort of era of like you said, like that golden era of motorcycling that we that we're in love with. But for us, just from a timing standpoint and, and when the accommodations were available and things like that, it made sense to do the main PT. Yep. You know, it's not, not a bad problem to have. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, I've, I've, I've got to put that on a, on a short list of mine to get to get to. Uh, I, I really am thankful for the time that I, I had with Vicarious and the connections that it opened up in the world of motorcycling for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now here with Iconic, it's just, it's it's obviously much bigger. And uh, it's it's opened up a lot more uh, connections of really wonderful people because I think I mean obviously the bikes are great, but what I've always been blown away with is the the, the people you meet that are also passionate about motorcycles and the incredible things that they've they've done and and what the, who they are. It's just a fantastic community. As that's grown, you're getting to meet more and more collectors who probably just reach out to you and say, "Hey, if you come across this, I'm interested." Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's definitely a lot of that. There's lots of interesting peop, uh, things on people's wish lists. Uh, it's hard to, at one point, Adam and I were offering a, uh, a service of source, which was let's let us know what you're looking for. And then we'll, you know, we'll keep an eye out. And then that list ballooned of 2,500 people. And, and we just told, we, we, just, we just can't do it anymore. It's, it's too much to manage. So now, now it's, now it's down to kind of like a list of 10 of really just, you know, stuff like if you can find a Briton, I mean, who knows, but. They're out there. Yeah, there's about, what, 12 of them? Yeah, but I think there's 10 plus. And I, I know someone that's got one plus uh, enough parts to basically make another one. But uh, knowing someone and then uh, finding someone that actually wants to let go of a motorcycle that incredible is a yeah. different thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, congratulations on that. That's that's an awesome. I think we're, we're, we're all pretty envious of that. Just kind of don't make your hobby your job, but it's kind of right. worked out for you, you know? Yeah, I feel very fortunate for that. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. And uh, yeah, if you guys are ever in Los Angeles, you know, uh, there's a there's a beer waiting for you in the in the fridge in the hangar. I will I will take you up with that. I, I'm yes. that if I'm <laughs> if I'm out that way, I'm going to knock on your door and say permission to enter. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good, Mister Ford. Cool. Uh, now, bike curious. I know you've slowed down your postings on there because you're yes. busy and yeah. you kind of have 
alluded to the fact that Iconic is getting most of your attention. Where do you see that going forward? Um, is that something that you want to continue to maintain as you have been? Is that going to evolve? Is that merry-go-round coming to a stop? What about that side of your your endeavors? Yeah, I'm, uh, great question. I mean, I think for, for me, it's definitely uh, both Adam and I are in a, a mode of a full steam ahead for at least a few years uh, to see how large we can make Iconic. The, I, I sort of alluded to transportation and that being a, a future division for us. Uh, it's one of those things where we've, you know, nothing's ever easy, but in general, the process of purchasing a motorcycle and then getting uh, the, the funding taken care of and all that kind of stuff is, is relatively straightforward. Where we, our logistical nightmare or our, our operational nightmare is really with, with shipping. Like, mm-hmm. And um, now. it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where I think before COVID, especially, we had shippers that were able to get things done. Uh, anywhere in the continental U.S. within two weeks, uh, and that was an easy, that was a nice thing to be able to depend on. But now it's uh, some some of these people are taking uh, three months uh, to to get certain shipments done, and that's uh, that really makes things difficult for us. So one of the things that we are doing is a getting our own shipping service going in terms of buying trucks, buying trailers, that kind of thing uh, for more white glove deliveries, but also. Uh, one of the things we're looking at is developing a crate to use where you can, you know, load a motorcycle into it. And then once it's secure in a, in a strong crate, then it, you don't need to use a motorcycle specific shipper. You can go the LTL route. Right. So we just brought on, in addition to bringing, uh, I mentioned gray earlier, we also brought uh, a new gentleman on. His name's Jay, uh, Jay Frank, and he's uh, going to be heading up the, you know, logistics transportation for us to, uh, to handle getting bikes all around the, all around the country and all around the world. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Tell tell people how they can how they can go find out more. Okay, I appreciate that. So uh, the on the web presence side, uh, Iconic Motorbikes is available at iconicmotorbikeauctions.com. Uh, you can also find us. Uh, my partner Adam is very prolific on social media and is constantly sharing updates behind the scenes, that kind of thing, on Instagram and Facebook at Iconic Motorbikes. And uh, that's pretty much it. Very good. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time with us. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure, guys. So it's always great chatting with you. Yeah. It's been good to catch up. As every month, see pictures of the bikes that we're talking about on Hooniverse.com. You can see what we're up to on our Facebook page. Our friend Jimbo will be here next month to talk about adventure bikes, specifically his experience with uh, V-Stroms and the DCT Africa Twin. So that's what we have lined up for next month. Thanks again, Abby. You are welcome anytime and reach out to us if you got news and we'll make sure our listeners know about it. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. So long. Bye.